Good morning. How are we? Good. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Two of you. All right. It's a good morning, but it's not a happy new year yet. Good to know. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I turned 35 in like eight days. Okay? So I have officially entered into the stage of life where it is no longer a given that I will make it to midnight. All right? <laughs> All right? I don't know. The, <laughs> I have a seven-year-old who may drag me into midnight uh, tonight, and I will be in bed by about 12.02 uh, PM or AM, sorry. Um, but he will be in bed by 12.01 and we will celebrate it. All right. And I'm hoping everyone here gets to celebrate it well, whether you go to bed early or not. And it's a unique time of year where we, I, I think we pay more close attention to time than any other time of the year. Many of us will actually count out seconds tonight, which does not happen very often, right? We will pay attention to the time, and this end of the year causes us often to look back at the last year and pay attention to the time that was given to us and the time that was spent. Now, when we talk about time, I think all of us can um, admit that not all time is created equal. When we look at our English language, we only have one word for time. That's seconds, minutes, hours, right? But in the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, there's actually two different words for time. The first is chronos, and this refers to the kind of time that we measure by the, clicking, by the ticking clock. It's the time we use as we try to meet deadlines, make it to appointments, or go to bed at a decent hour, just like tonight. We cite it in Numbers, 8.45 a.m., 4.15 p.m., and one day of Kronos time is exactly 24 hours long. But there is a second type of time in the Greek language, and that is Kairos time. Kairos, on the other hand, is lived time, experienced time. Kairos has a spiritual implication to it, a sense of significance. It, rep it represents time in the moment giving everything into that moment and receiving everything that it has to offer. On Kairos time, you are truly present, not rushing toward the next thing. This still small moment cannot be measured in seconds, minutes, or hours. It is measured in depth and response. Now, speaking for me, and I think I can speak for uh, us here, when we look back at our 2017, we're not just looking back at individual seconds, hours, and minutes, unless those, those minutes, those seconds, those hours, they had depth to them. Those are the ones that we look back on, that we celebrate, and those are the ones that we want to celebrate in this new year. And it's quite possible for us to miss moments like that. Moments of depth are everywhere. Possibilities for them are here but it is quite possible for, miss, for us to miss them. One of my resolutions into this new year is to be as present as I possibly can in every moment that I am given, because I'm not guaranteed them. So all of the ones that I get, I want to be present in. Present with my wife, present with my son, with my friends, right? with my community, with the people around me, all of the above. I want to be as present as possible. This is a hard thing to do, and as I'm learning, as, my, as through my study this week and what we will unpack, not only hard for me and I think us, but also many of the characters of the Bible as well. 
This morning what we're going to do is we're going to step into the life of um, the prophet Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite prophets, one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he is incredibly human. And when I was a new believer and I started reading the Bible, this was a little bit, I read comic books growing up. I loved the superheroes, right? Um, and so the characters of the Bibles are a little bit like superheroes to me. And it, was, it wasn't until I spent more time in the scriptures that I realized that they were human beings. They were people just like you and me, that that's who God chooses to use and to invite into changing the world, which is flawed, broken human beings, just like you and me. And so to study Elijah's life, a little bit of a backstory. Elijah is a prophet who lived in the 9th century B.C., about 100 years after King David. We find his story in the midst of the books of First and Second Kings in the Old Testament. These books chronicle the downfall of the people and kingdom of Israel under the leadership of many different, not, to be honest, not so great kings, which is why it's called First and Second Kings. Elijah was a prophet during the reign of King Ahab, and Elijah's life, like many of ours, was filled with turmoil. At times he was bold and decisive, and at other times fearful and tentative. As we will see, Elijah was not afraid to tell the truth about what was going on around him. Before we do so, we need to look at the idea of a prophet. Now, prophets come in all different shapes and sizes throughout the scriptures, but they have a few things in common. Prophets tell the truth about what is, and they give voice to the alternative. When you look, at, especially at the Old Testament, God continually sent in prophets to speak to the powerful influences of the day. And what they did, no matter the consequences, is that they spoke truth, and they said there's another way to live. Where we're going to pick up our story today is the prophet uh, Elijah is speaking some truth. And you're going to find, like many of us, Elijah doesn't always have the best tact when he speaks truth. A little, he's a little bit abrasive, right? And Elijah is speaking truth to King Ahab. We're going to pick up our story in 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 20. It says this. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. We pick up our, our story. King Ahab is leader, leader over the country. And he is worshiping both God and Baal. He's, he's putting his... Uh, um, and money in two different bank accounts, hoping that they're, they're both going to rescue him. And so, as a truth teller, Elijah shows up and tells the truth to the king and says, this isn't a way to live. You have to choose. You have to pick either God or Baal. And to do so, he issues a challenge. And he says, here's what we're going to do. You have 450 prophets, and we have just little old me, all right? Let's set up two different places for an offering and let's see whose God actually shows up. So with your 450 prophets of, of Baal, set up your offering. I'm going to set up mine, and we're going to call fire down from heaven, and we're going to see whose God shows up. So that's exactly what happens in this story. Now, it's important that we imagine this spectacle, okay? These are prophets of the king, prophets of Baal. So the, these aren't um, just a, some people you found off the street. They would all be in their garb. They would look the part. 
they would be probably have practiced something like this. It would actually probably be a beautiful spectacle to watch. And early in the morning, they set up their altar and they begin to chant and call for Baal to show up. And they call and they call and they call and nothing happens. And so they get a little more desperate and they begin to actually cut, bring out swords and knives and cut themselves, thinking of that sacrifice will bring forth Baal. And they call and they call and nothing happens. Now about noon, our very human Elijah speaks up like only Elijah can. And he says this, At noon Elijah mocked them saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. After a few hours of Baal not showing up, he, Elijah steps up and says, So is your God like in the bathroom right now? Is he not able to come out and be a part? And it's at this point that he says, Step out of the way, 450 prophets of Baal. Right? I'm going to do my thing. And he sets up 12 stones for the 12 um, tribes of Israel. And he builds his altar. And he pours water over it so much. And he builds a trough around it, a trench around it, and fills it with water. And he begins to speak. And he says, and it says this, At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. And he prays, and this is what we have to pay attention to, he prays this two-part prayer. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you are, that you, O Lord, are God. So first thing, they need to recognize after this that you are God. And second, and that you have turned their hearts back. God says, I want them to recognize that you are God, and I want their hearts to be after you and you alone. Now, when Elijah prays this, this is just me, I don't think he believed that this is a two-part prayer. I think that he thought that was all one and the same. But, I, but for most of us, we can now recognize that acknowledging that God exists, that he is real, and giving him our hearts are two different things. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So part one of the prayer comes true. Part one of the prayer is seen. They all acknowledge that God is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escaped, and they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, Elijah is used to God showing power, and at the end of the story, he brings power. And this power that he brings brings consequences into his life. His actions have consequences, and they come from not King Ahab, but King Ahab's wife. In, verse, in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Jezebel hears about what happened. The, 
the slaughter of the prophets of Baal. And she says, within 24 hours, may the gods curse me if I don't do to you what you did to them. Now, remember the very beginning of our story, all right? Remember our bold prophet, Elijah, this guy who called fire down from heaven. By the way, I want that job, right? Many of you serve in our church, and I think you do a wonderful job of, of greeting and every, setting up everything, but I think any one of you would hand in your greeting card if it means you get the fire down from heaven card, right? That's an awesome job to have, okay? This is Elijah, and if we just look at this, if we just take a snapshot of this part of his life, we're all kind of jealous of his faith, his boldness. I want a faith like that, right? And so, if you haven't read the story before, maybe you don't know how it goes on. So we would expect Elijah to say, oh, oh, Jezebel, all right? You want some fire? I got some fire from heaven. I'll give you some fire. But that's not what happens in the story. And this is why I think this story is so meaningful in our lives. And Elijah is so human. Because when Jezebel threatens his life, it says, then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. And it goes on to say, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. It's not where we thought the story was going to turn. This is not my expectation. I thought Elijah was a superhero. I thought he was Superman or Batman or whatever I read in the comic books. This is not where I expected my superhero, how I expected him to act. But yet he's human. He's a human being. He's fearful, and he runs for his life. He gets to a place where he decides it's better that I no longer live anymore. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. I don't know about you, but I get cranky when I haven't eaten for like two hours right? And so, but God meets, he meets his prophet in this place, and he satisfies his physical needs, but he does so to send him on a journey, all right, to the mount of God. Mount Horeb, where Elijah found himself after his long journey through the desert, was a the very mountain where Moses had encountered God in the fire of a burning bush. It was at that moment also called Mount Sinai that God had given the law to Moses and amid fire, smoke, and thunder. God aims to bring his prophet, this bold prophet that knows how to show up and call fire down from heaven. But he does to Elijah as he did to Saul before he was Saul, or before he was Paul, as he did to Moses. He he longs to bring him to a place of dependence. He says, you know how to function in my power, right? But my power, as the New Testament tells us, it made perfect in weakness. And so he brings him to a place, not where Elijah is strong, but where Elijah is weak, and that's where we pick up our story. 
It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. A very honest assessment, right? Which, by the way, he was asked, what are you doing here? And he answers why he's here in the first place. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? When the thunder ceased and the lightning was gone and the earth was still and the wind was hushed and there was a dead calm and out of the midst of the still air there came what the Hebrew calls a voice of gentle silence, a still small voice, as if silence itself had become audible. The Bible calls this a still, small voice. Now, if you go there in your mind's eye and you listen to this story and you picture it, I think what most of us do is we picture this voice that comes and it probably comes, right, like a whisper. A whisper is the volume turned down, but that doesn't accurately portray what's going on in this story. This still, small voice, the definition of still means deep silence and calmness, right? Deep silence and calm. If you've ever been hiking before, there's a difference between going and walking through, let's say, Lucille Park in Battleground and going up into the mountains where you can no longer hear the, the freeway and the cars and planes and any residual noise anymore. Now, here's the thing. It's not silent there. No, it's not silent there, but it's calm. Right? And there's a difference between just a lack of noise, turning the volume down, and a place of peace, a place where you can truly listen. The theologian Charles Spurgeon called Elijah a child of the storm. And I think many of us can relate to this, especially those that are my generation or younger. We're very, we're very used to noise. Right? We, we crave it, and if we're completely honest... We get really uncomfortable in silence. We don't like it. We're more afraid of silence than we are of, of loud and of noise and of even power showing up. And it's the God of Israel that brings Elijah to the desert, to the mountain of God, to explain to him that though I may be able to come in power at all times, I move in the hearts of men through whispers. Even the noise of the wind and of the storm was not as terrible as the still, small voice by which Jehovah called his servant near. And the prophet covered his face and went to the mouth of the cave and stood to listen, for the still, small voice had won the solemn attention of his soul. Let me read that again. 
the still small voice had won the solemn attention of his soul. I wonder how many things get the solemn attention of your soul. All of it. I think this is what the Greeks meant when they were talking about Kairos time. Being fully present in a moment. Not wondering how long this is going to take right now. But, but actually being all the way there. See, Elijah grew up and he had seen God move in these powerful ways. But he was become, becoming aware that men can be made to tremble when God sends pestilence and famine and fire and others of his terrible judgments. But these things usually end in the hardening of men's hearts and not in the winning of them. God can bring his power and his thunder and his fire at any point. But if we look at the life of Pharaoh, who experienced the power of God as much as anyone who's ever lived, his heart was hardened through that. God may devour his enemies with lions, but he wins his friends with love. Elijah, the, <laughs> the child of the storm, needed to learn this lesson for him to grow as a human being. Zechariah 4.6 tells us that not by might nor by power, but by spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The still small voice within the conscience is God's chosen instrument to convert and comfort the souls of men. It's important that we observe very carefully and gladly how God dealt with his downcast servant. He knew that he was faithful at heart because God knows our hearts. He understood that Elijah was a true man who loved his God and feared him and was very jealous for his honor. Therefore, he did not put his servant away in anger, but he determined to revive and restore him and bring him back to his holy warfare. Now must Elijah learn the meaning of David's song, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When the quiet had in measure calmed his mind, the Lord began to speak with him. I think most of us don't have quiet minds. We long, we long to hear from God. We desire it so greatly. We long for this deep connection that we speak of and this kairos kind of moments in our life. But we, have, we don't have quiet minds. One of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer, says this, Before I turn to my work in the world, I have inner work to do. He says that there is work before the work. Many of us this week, today, and in this next week, we will make plans for the work that we will put out into the world, whether that's simply losing weight or becoming more healthy in our physical bodies, or maybe it's more discipline or whatever your resolutions are in your life. But as Parker Palmer shows us, as Elijah's life shows us, before we can put our work out into the world, there is inner work for us to do. And if we can just be honest for a moment. So, because we're a family, and this is a safe place, um, I would love to speak truth for a second. I'd love to step into the role of a prophet. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a prophet. But the prophet speaks truth, Right? This has been true in my own life, and I think it's true in many of our own lives. When, when we speak of God's power, man, we love that. We love seeing miracles. We love things that, that leave us in the grandest level of awe. We love loud. We love bright. We love meeting God in that way. 
Yet this story shows us that as we mature, the more we are able to calm our lives and put ourselves continually in a place. Hopefully for us, it's not 40-day journey into the desert, by the way. But hopefully for us, we continually put ourselves in a place where we hear God's small whisper to the point where it's so important to us that it didn't matter that it took 40 days to get there. I don't think at the end of this experience, Elijah was saying that 40 days was wasted because that moment where we hear God's whisper is everything. And if I can speak truth into our lives, Jesus tells us how to pray in the New Testament, and he says to go and lock the door behind us and pray in secret. And I think most of us can't remember the last time we truly did that. It's terrifying to us. That's not just terrifying, like scary terrifying, but if it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to us. As a new believer, I went to a summer camp. And many of you maybe have been to summer camps before, and you know the rhythm because it's a rhythm to camps, right? And we did the first night, and it was awesome, and it was fun, and worship was amazing and loud and cool and everything. And we did, and the next morning was way more toned down, right? The morning was like one guy on a guitar, all right? Normally that guy doesn't have shoes on for whatever reason, all right? And he plays some worship, and there's a shorter message. And then this next thing happens that was like, what? All right? And he said, hey, we're going to go have 30 minutes of quiet time. And I'm like, never done this before. All I know is I grew up in quiet time was when I got in trouble, right? And I, guys, I'm honest with you saying I had never done anything like this before, right? And I said, so what do we do? And they're like, well, it's like 30 minutes and you go off and you read the Bible and you pray. And I was like, so who's leading this? And they're like, well, you're going off by yourself. And I'm like, again, what am I doing, right? Because I was brand new at this. I didn't, I had no muscle memory. I didn't, my ability to listen, my, that muscle was very small, in me, right? And so I went and I found a hammock at this camp and I got out my Bible and I was like, all right, we're doing this, God, all right? And I got out my Bible and I started to read and I started to talk to God. And like many that want to have a spiritual disciplined life and begin that, within like three minutes I fell asleep. Like, like three minutes I was out, all right? And then all of a sudden I heard like people just rustling, all right? And then I just kind of like acted like, oh, that was so good time with the Lord, right? And so at lunch my friends were like, how was your quiet time? And I was like, it was amazing, right? If I get a half hour nap every day. But here's the problem. They gave us French toast for breakfast, okay? If you're trying to have a quiet time for God, don't have French toast before. Have it after. But this for me was kind of an eye-opening experience where um, the leaders of our church were, were healthy enough to say, hey, um, God doesn't just show up in like this time where we get loud corporately together that, that our job is to kind of spur you on in this moment and then send you off to this time where God can speak to you individually because that's what he does individually. The Holy Spirit leads us in these small places of spurring on, all right, of conviction, of just little things. Most of us, we want these moments. We want them to matter. And, and the more that we tune our ears to the ability to listen to God in his still, small voice, the more that we are present and able to not just bring the power of God that brings noise and light. Those are cool, all right? 
but brings the power of God through whisper and through love because that is what changes the hearts of men and women. So it changes our hearts, and that's what allows us to put ourselves in a place that can be a part of people's hearts turning from false gods and false beliefs to the one true God. And I think all of us can, that's what we want, right? But this means us entering into a place that's incredibly uncomfortable. This past week, um, someone I love um, very dearly uh, was spending some time with them in a community setting, and I know their life pretty well, and they've, they've experienced quite a bit of loss this year, and there's someone that they wish was at Christmas that wasn't there, and in this moment, I felt this nudging to say, say something, like acknowledge this right now. But it was a huge, um, there's kids running around everywhere, and I didn't want to embarrass them, and I didn't find the place where it was just um, them and I, and so I didn't, I kind of chickened out, to be completely honest with you. And then this last week, couple days ago, um, I finally got to say it, and they broke into tears, and they just said, thank you for that. No, although I was thankful that I was eventually able to share I also was very convicted that I didn't listen to the still small voice that said to say something, to said to, to speak up and courage at that moment, that that person had to go another few days in pain that, um, as far as they could see, wasn't acknowledged. Pain, I saw a quote this week that said, pain that is not given a voice um, becomes violence, and pain that is given a voice becomes energy. Right? For many of us, we need a place all right. God gave Elijah a place in his fear. He says, what are you doing here? And Elijah just spurred it out. Well, someone's trying to kill me. Basically, what he wanted to say is, you didn't bring fire down from heaven. I wouldn't be here if you, didn't bring, if you would have brought fire down from heaven and just taken out Jezebel. And God's saying, that's not how I always work. All right? I aim to change the hearts as well. Elijah would eventually anoint kings and stir up rebellion against Ahab and Jezebel. He would call his replacement, Elisha, into the role of prophet to do as he had done, but not before God initiated this inner work inside of him. This morning, I believe that God has an inner work. There's work before the work for us. So many of us miss it. It is so, our bullet points and our lists, they're important. They're good, guys. They're really good. I'm not saying they're not but there's a different kind of dependence on God. The people that I find that have gone through the storm, that have weathered this sort of experience as Elijah has, they're the ones that I want to follow into the storm because they can share from their own experience. And many of those, those people, they're not in need of community in the same way the rest of us are, if I can be honest. Again, let me put my uh, prophet hat on again and speak truth. We are blessed here at Kesed. Danny is a phenomenal teacher, is he not? I have been blessed well over a decade to follow his teaching, to listen to his, the way he tells stories and makes the Bible come alive. And Dave and his worship and their team and everyone here is incredibly talented. I wonder what the state of our faiths would be like if they went away. If I, I wonder if I didn't have the gospel presented to me in such a beautiful and articulate way. I wonder if I 
am in need at times of being drugged out to the desert so that I could learn how to listen. Right? Because right now my ears get pretty attuned to a very beautiful gospel. Man, we love fire from heaven. Right? And this is, but I'm not poo-pooing service, right? Uh, this is amazing. We are blessed, right? The gospel comes alive here. But my hope and my prayer for each one of us is that as we go into this next year, that we not, we don't get more excited to just show up for this hour and a half on a Sunday morning, but we dive into the awkwardness, the uncomfortability that is connecting with our God, that we wrestle with the fact, the same way I wrestled on that hammock, like, and falling asleep and being embarrassed enough to do that, and embarrassed enough, by the way, to admit it to all of you, right? And say, this is another discipline, another muscle that I need to build up, but I need to keep showing up to that. I need to keep and keep and keep showing up because I want it, because I crave the Kairos moments in my life more than I crave just having time go by. We all got 365 days this last year, every single one of us in here, right? But we all didn't live them in the same way if you uproot an idol in your life and you fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, then the idol will grow back. God is teaching his prophet Elijah love. Not just power, but love. And when you see this, when you see love, when you're in the presence of love, it changes everything. It changes everything. You know and you can see that this moment is different than the other moments. Maybe you experienced that with another person. Maybe you've watched it before. I'd like to take a second today and watch a video together um, telling the story a bit of an amazing organization. Maybe you've heard of it called StoryCorps. StoryCorps' mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. The idea is this. The, um, the person who who created Story Corps, looked around and, and uh, realized uh, we live in a really cool and amazing age with technology. No, I don't know if you're anything like me. I'm turning 35 this year, remember, right? So I'm really like wise and all that good stuff. But the one thing I've always been is kind of an old soul. And so whenever our family gets together, especially for birthdays, we do things and we just ask and we tell stories. I want my son to be used to hearing the stories of his papa, right? And uh, his grandma. And I, wa- I want to I know, first of all, I want to know the stories of my dad and my mom, and, my, and um, these are really important. I was a person who never got to meet either of his grandparents, or uh, sorry, either of his grandpas. So I never got to hear grandpa's voice. I never got to feel his touch or anything like that. And I would love to hear his voice now. The person that started Story Corps said, we live in a time now where generations upon generations upon generations can now hear your voice. So the idea is this. They went to Grand Central Station in New York and they set up a booth. And the idea behind this booth is any two people could come in and interview one another and they would record it, all right, and keep it forever. This now, if you download the StoryCorps app and uh, upload something to it, it now goes to the Library of Congress and it's kept forever so that your kids, 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 kids can now look you up and see an interview between who and who, you and whoever. What a beautiful thing, right? What a beautiful thing. And it's in watching these this week that I was reminded that there's a difference between just Kronos time, just time going by. But you never are able to tell until you're in the, in the moment of Kairos time that you're in it, right? You just have to recognize it when it's there. I want to watch a video uh, today of Joshua Littman, who interviewed his mom, Sarah, at StoryCorps. It's just a couple minutes long. 
Joshua is a seventh grade honors student, but was having a hard time socially. Josh uh, is on the autism spectrum. Um, and his mom, Sarah, describes him as born without social genes. Uh, someone like Josh can come across as eccentric and have obsessions, and for Joshua, it's animals. This animated version of their one-of-a-kind conversations covers everything from cockroaches to Sarah's feelings about Joshua as a son. Let's go ahead and watch this together. From a scale of 1 to 10, do you think your life would be different without animals? I think it would be an 8 without animals because... They add so much pleasure to life. How else do you think your life would be different without them? I could do without things like cockroaches and snakes. Well, I'm okay with snakes as long as they're not venomous or like can constrict you or anything. Yeah, I'm not a big snake person. But cockroach is just the insect we love to hate. Yeah, it really is. Have you ever felt like life is hopeless? Um, when I was a teenager, I was very depressed. And I think that can be quite common with teenagers who think a lot, you know, and are perceptive. Am I like that? You were very much like that. Do you have any mortal enemies? I would say my worst enemy is sometimes myself, but I, I don't think I have any mortal enemies. Have you ever lied to me? Hmm. I probably have, but I try not to lie to you, even though sometimes the questions you ask make me uncomfortable. Like when we go on our walks, some of the questions I might ask. Yeah, but you know what? I feel it's really special that you and I can have those kind of talks, even if sometimes I feel myself blushing a little bit. Have you ever thought you couldn't cope with having a child? <laughs> I remember when you were a baby, you had really bad colic, so you would just cry and cry. And What's I didn't colic? Know what... It's when you get this stomach ache and all you do is scream for like four hours Even a night. Even louder than Amy does? You were pretty loud, but Amy's was more high-pitched. I think it feels like everyone seems to like Amy more, like she's like the perfect little angel. Well, I can understand why you think that people like Amy more. And I'm not saying it's because of your Asperger's syndrome, but being friendly comes easily to Amy. Whereas I think for you, it's more difficult. But the yeah, people who like, take the time to get to know you love you so much. Like Ben or Eric or Carlos. Yeah, and... Like I have better quality friends, but less quantity. I, would, I wouldn't judge the quality, but I think... I mean, like, first thing is, like, Amy loved Claudia, then she hated Claudia, she loved Claudia, yeah, part, then you know she what, hated part of, Claudia. Part of that's a girl thing, honey. The important thing for you is that you have a few very good friends, and really that's what you need in life. Did I turn out to be the son you wanted when I was born? Like, did I meet your expectations? And You've exceeded my expectations, sweetie. Because, you know, sure, you have these fantasies of what your child's going to be like, but you have made me grow so much as a parent. Because you think... Well, I was the one who made you a parent. You were the one who made me a parent. That's a good point. But also, because you think differently from, you know, what they tell you in the parenting books. Yeah. I really had to learn to think out of the box with you, and it's made me much more creative as a parent and as a person, and I'll always thank you for that. And that helped that. when Amy was born? And that helped when Amy was born, but you were just so incredibly special to me, and I'm so lucky to have you as my son. Did you feel it when, this, when the conversation shifted? Did you feel it? Funny, so what an awesome kid, by the way, right? Asking these questions, very tough questions of his mom. And then all of a sudden, did I meet your expectations? Did, did you 
Did you feel it show up, this opportunity in the room? If you remember the story of Elijah, God says, what are you doing here? If the God, the creator of all things, locks eyes with you and says, what are you doing here? You're, you're left with this internal question that says, am I where I'm supposed to be? We're asking this question all the time in our life. Our children are asking these questions. We're asking these questions. This time he asks his mother, am I what you expected? Now you can tell that this mom is battle-tested, that she is ready for this, and she does not drop the ball when this question is asked. And she, with love, not power, but love meets his questions, his scary questions, the uncomfortable questions. And this is where we watch videos, and this is why our heart stirs when we watch something like this. And we know that this is kind of the stuff that matters because we see this was a Kairos moment. This is one that mattered more than a lot of other moments because his identity and his worth was not, um, was not changed. It was just declared. Where many of us wonder if we're worthy, if we're enough, if we're loved, if we're accepted. And God continually brings us to this place for, for many of us of quiet so he can whisper, yes, you are. We have so much noise in our life and we forget this. And we go looking for other things and other voices and other influences, other bales, other prophets that would validate us. But it is in this whisper, these kairos moments that are everything, that change everything. God's object lesson for Elijah and for us is that the battle is fought in the storm, but it is won in the quiet, in the work before the work. That's my prayer for us, for our church for 2018, that in, before we do big, amazing, loud things, that there would be work before the work. See, Satan can set the soul on fire with agony and doubts and fears, and terrors rend it like an awful earthquake, bringing us to trouble and confusion. But the Spirit comes in tenderest love, revealing Christ the gentle one, setting up the cross of the Savior before the sinner's tearful eyes and speaking peace, pardon, and salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need, the work of the Spirit of God in his own manner of living love. Friends, we cannot stop gathering corporately to encourage one another to learn of the scriptures, to dive into what God is doing in our life, to declare, to worship, to sing, to praise. But we also need to get to a place in our lives, whether it's uncomfortable or not, that we can listen to the work of the Spirit of God in his own manner of living love. That's going to be you. I can't do that for you. Your spouse can't do that for you. We can be reflections of that love but that whisper, guys, that's worth everything. And I'm not saying this is always the audible voice of God, right? The beautiful thing about God's love and the beautiful thing about conviction is it's not shame, right? Conviction is that I have something better for you, which is the job of a prophet in the first place, to speak truth and then point to a better, a more whole, a more complete version how we're going to end our time here today 
is we're going to celebrate communion together. Communion has always been a time to not only reflect and celebrate Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, but as 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us, it is also a time to examine ourselves. It's not just a ritual where we listen to the music being played up here. We play that music to create a space for you to invite God in to speak truth over you and to point a different way. We're going to make plans for this new year, but I, I pray we start here with the work before the work. I pray we invite God to tell the truth about ourselves, however terrifying or uncomfortable it may be, and that we tell that truth to the one who meets us with the love and gentleness that we saw in the life of Elijah. So in a moment, I'm just going to pray. But we're going to do communion a little bit different today. We're going to celebrate a communion in the stillness. I'm going to pray. Verses are going to come up on the screen so that no one has to get up or shuffle or anything else. We just want to take a moment in the stillness to read them, to take them in. The worship team will lead us in a song as the ushers pass that communion. And when you get the communion in your hands, it's the beautiful thing. That's, that's stillness for you. You take that communion when you feel ready. We're not going to wait for someone else like me to come up on stage and lead you in that. This is a moment of stillness that we've created for you. And here's the thing, guys. Please don't measure this moment in Kronos time. Don't be looking at the clock saying, is there time for this? I heard a story of a man this week who went to counseling, who was seeking some healing in his life. And he went to the counselor and the first question that he had, he looked the counselor right in the eyes and he said, how long is this gonna take? And the counselor with love looked back to him and said, it's gonna take as long as it takes. I pray that as we invite God into our life, we're not putting timestamps on when he moves or how he moves. It'll take as long as it takes. But stepping forward and and faith into uncomfortableness and inviting him, that's the first step for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we celebrate communion today. We celebrate it. We embrace it. We embrace Jesus' body broken for us and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. On this 31st day of December, we reflect back on our year and we celebrate the Kairos moments and we, we ask that you lead us into more of them. Lord, I pray for courage and strength for everyone in this room, that we would have the bravery to step into the work that is before the work. There's much work to be done in this world, Lord. But Lord, we acknowledge that you're not, you're not in a hurry. You have other work to do in our souls and in our lives. And it is in your whisper that our hearts are changed. So we give this time to you. It was yours in the first place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.